You're listening to Art Smitten with Jonathan and myself, Christian. So um, now we're just going to have a bit of discussion about. So we were, in case you missed that, because that wasn't on mic. The three of us were singing along to uh, "He Lives in You" from um, the Lion King Two, and also the um, the musical. Of, I'm so glad that song was used in the um, in the stage musical version as well. Yeah, um, that's like the one. Yeah, even though it was written for the animated. Director, D- sorry, director video VHS sequel. Um, they included it because it was so good. Um, but anyway, you were you were telling us a bit about um, your choir before, just during the song there. And yes. Yeah. So I'm mm. part of a choir called mm. Chime, which is the Choral Institute of Melbourne. Mm. Uh, it's one of the things I do every Tuesday night, and mm. I'm lucky enough to be part of a recording at the moment because we're organising a CD. And recording for a choir is a little bit different than recording for a a band or uh, what you might think of a traditional recording studio. Mainly because choirs don't tend to have as much money behind them, funnily enough, because there's so many members. But the other, there's also a lot less gigs for choirs, typically. It's usually weddings or funerals or Christmas things, which... It's kind of funny when you run out of music at a, a wedding and you start singing funeral music and hope that no one notices because it's in Latin. <laughs> um, but yes, we're do- currently doing recordings and we are doing He Lives in You uh, mm. from The Lion King 2 with a bunch of other choir arrangements, some more traditional stuff like Ubi Caritas, which is all in Latin. And there's not like what's interesting about this particular recording is usually every year we have a theme. So we've done American songs, English songs. We've done a jazz concert. uh, We've done a musicals concert. But this is sort of like a conglomeration of everything. Uh, So we have to be very, I suppose, adaptable to all this new repertoire. And yeah, because we're doing it in we're doing it in a music the- in like a high school hall theater in the one Wonter- in Montana College, which is uh, actually a really great space. The recording is very different because rather than having each individual singer singing into a mic, we actually have to sing as a whole choir hmm. and sing into about five or six mics that are placed around the room. So in a way, it's kind of like a performance with no one there, but you have to be really really careful to get everything right. So. Yeah, that's quite a a unique experience. And the other thing is that our choir director is also getting us to dress up in fancy clothing, which has... Well, we had some direction as what it was supposed to look like, but it was difficult because in a choir, you usually have to source all your own costumes because we lack lack funding. We're just a good old community choir. Hmm. Um, But yeah... It's been heaps of fun singing a recording, and I'm really looking forward to the end result. Yeah, definitely. And and it's interesting that, like, acoustically, I'm sure you'd have to work it sort of very differently if there's... Again, I don't think I've been in the choir maybe since, like, primary school even. But, but yeah, I, I do remember that was that was how it was it was recorded. It was a few... That, that's, that's how they were placed, yeah. Oh, yeah, funny you should mention mm. that, because singing in a choir, you actually have to adapt how you sing depending upon the sound. And mm. as someone who's a ling- linguistics nerd such as yourself, yes. you'll find this particularly interesting. So when you sing lots of different choir repertoire, you have to change the sounds of your vowels depending upon where you are. Mm. In places with poor acoustics, you've got to sing more like like your typical American pop star and put mm. twang in it. So an example of it might be, He lives in you. He mm. lives in me, really <laughs> emphasizing the N and the A because it helps brighten up the sound and stop everyone from going flat. Mm. While if you're singing in something like a church or a cathedral where the acoustics are really well designed, 
then you can do a lot more like longer vowels and that'll sound better. So like, he lives in you, he lives in me, sort of mm. a difference. And it's it's interesting how depending upon where you sing changes how you have to sing. And that's something I hadn't really experienced or knew about until I had joined my choir and sung in a whole bunch of different places. So mm. luckily for this hall, we have good acoustics. So you don't have to sing extra twangy and you don't have to sing with your soft palate a whole heap and sing that soft sort of uh, thing. So, yeah, it's a nice mixture. Yeah, yeah, uh, ab- absolutely. And I do know that that's, um, like, that's an interesting conversation with uh, with singers about like them supposedly like putting on an American accent or putting on an English accent for whatever prestige that will that will buy them. Because yeah, sometimes that is just an acoustic necessity. Um, mm. And even you know people aren't necessarily even aware of it. Like there's this idea that that's something that they're you know, absolutely like wanting to do. Well, you know, in fairness, sometimes they are. Like I know, um, you know, Iggy Azalea. A certain genre is like a you know rap is like associated with that Af- African American dialect. So, um, but that is like that. That's the other thing. Sometimes you just might either do it unconsciously just because like a certain type of music is written for the cadence of a certain accent, um, or you just have that habit as a singer of you know singing like the songs that that you like to listen to. And you know that, and I think that happens with across like you know all artists as well. You're sort of unconsciously influenced by the kind of stuff that you're used to used to writing and um because even you know certain this is going quite far away from that um but you know uh, writers writing for television like writing detective stories uh sometimes will kind of unconsciously like forget that they're writing if they're if you're writing a detective story set in Australia Australia has a different police system to America or you know even to either America or like England in the 1850s so you can't do the whole mysterious killer in a trench coat thing because trench coats aren't that common in Australia um or you know the whole IDing the body procedure it's it's kind of I don't know it's it's interesting how like cultural aspects of culture kind of get embedded with a genre and mm. there's this idea that if you're, even if you're setting this in, or you know, if, even if like you're a singer of this nationality, if you're singing in this genre, you have to adopt like linguistic aspects of that dialect. Or if you're a writer um, and from this culture, you feel like even subconsciously or unconsciously, you have to uh, adopt aspects of a certain culture to write that type of a story. I completely get you. It, completely yeah. get you. And mm. what's uh, really been difficult in preparing for this concert is that because our repertoire is so varied, mm. uh, we have to change our vowel sounds so off, so mm. much. So we actually have a system, it's like a range, mm. where 10 is really nasally and you speak like this. And it's, yeah. yeah. It's really harsh. Mm. And then a 1, where you try and make it sound as soft and as mm. luxurious as possible. <laughs> and then there's a 5, which is in the middle. And then uh, mm. halfway through the song, our conductor will point out a number like an eight Hmm. or a two and we'll have to adapt our voices to make it sound like that and that was something we were actually taught by a group called the idea of north which is a famous acapella group Hmm. we were lucky enough to have a workshop with them when we did Hmm. a concert with them which was so good oh my goodness but yeah and what's super interesting about culture and languages and singing is latin songs in particular Hmm. are very versatile because no one actually remembers how to pronounce Latin words properly anymore. Mm. So you can kind of do what you want to. However, traditionally in churches, they have very like, they have very open, smooth sort of vowel sounds. Mm. So that's the, that convention comes through. 
despite the fact that no one really knows whether or not that's what you're supposed to do. But anyway... Yeah, I don't know. If people went along with that, you know, they'd be um, performing, say, Shakespeare, for example, in an accent that's closer to modern-day American than it is to modern-day British. But that would just sound very strange to people because people don't like change. But, <laughs> but, but um, yeah, I know. It's, 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 it's curious as well, as, as well, working with a dead language that obviously is much more malleable. But, yeah, and, and I know that apparently, like, um, opera, so Italian is rather... Um, flexible in that way as well. Apparently for an opera singer and you forget your words and you're singing in Italian, you can often get by just by like using random pasta names and no one will really notice apparently because it's opera and you can't really hear what they're saying anyway. You know and what? Pasta I... names saying vaguely, well they are obviously Italian That's and they're true. the first things that come into your mind. So yeah, it's That's a common true. trick. Now I feel <laughs> cheated because I went and saw the Pearl Fishers a while mm. ago. It was the first opera I'd seen mm. and I was like, oh I'm not super into opera but then yeah. I saw it and I was like, oh wow, this mm. is actually really good but it was in English and now I have to go and see an Italian one so oh, I can yeah. see how many pasta <laughs> yes. surnames and you know things I can spot up. That'd be great. <laughs> Definitely. You're listening to Artspitten on Sedation 